Ben does what he wants means I do what I want. Hmm. things up a bit this week in light of the big lotto prize last week uh i got very curious about the lottery in fact brooklyn my girlfriend and i bought tickets for the last two weeks in hopes of winning the big old lump sum and these were my first lottery tickets that i've ever purchased on my own i believe i can't recall any other time which probably means that i haven't um so this is this is called how about that that's what i'm gonna call this this uh new variation of Ben does what he wants. How about that? Um, in case you missed the news, the winning ticket last week sold in Wisconsin for $768 million, uh, and the odds of winning were one in 292.2 million. This was the third largest jackpot in Mega Millions in history, the record being $1.586 billion in 2016. After all the taxes, however, the take-home of uh, the lump sum for the the most recent jackpot will be closer to 477 million. Still, nothing to scoff at. At the heart of the lottery is gambling, organized gambling. Most of this historical information I'm about to read is pulled from Wikipedia, some other sources, but uh, let's hop in the old time machine. Whoa, going back in time. Woo. Crazy, we went back in time. Uh, let's travel back in time for the, for the first recorded moments of gambling during the Han Dynasty in China between 205 and 187 BC. They played an early form of Kino, a game still played today. Players wager by choosing numbers ranging from 1 through, most often, 80. After all players make their wagers, 20 numbers... Some variants draw fewer numbers, but 20 numbers is customary, are drawn at random, either with a ball machine, similar to the ones used for lotteries and bingo, or with a random number generator. The player is paid based on how many numbers were chosen, either player selection or the terminal picking the numbers, the number of matches out of those chosen, and the wager. So that's Kino. It's very similar to the lottery we're familiar with in the States, at its beginning, Kino was believed to fund government projects, including the Great Wall of China. How about that? All right, we're going to jump back into the time machine. Whoa! We're back in the time machine. Whoa! Uh, jumping forward in time to the reign of Caesar Augustus in Rome, 27 BC to 14 AD, and the first recorded use of governmental lotteries in Western civilization. Similarly to the Chinese, Romans used the funds raised by the lottery to repair the city. In contrast, the prizes were not money, but quote-unquote articles of unequal value. Not entirely sure what that means. I looked it up, but uh, it sounds like a jip. <laughs> Hopping back in the time machine. Whoa! Oh my gosh, we're moving <laughs> I'm having fun with that. Uh, 
We go to medieval Europe in the 15th century. This was the first recorded rec recorded the first record of money being given as a prize in Western civilization. In the Lowlands, or what is modern Netherlands, that includes Luxembourg and Belgium, towns in the area would hold lotteries to fund town fortification and help the poor. How about that? Helping the poor. Uh, a record dated May 9th, 1445 at Le Ecluse refers to raising funds to build walls and town fortifications with a lottery of 4,304 tickets and a total prize money of 1,737 florins, worth about $170,000 in 2014. In the 17th century, oh, sounds like we're going back in the time machine. Whoa, man, a lot of time machines in this thing. How about that? Uh, it was quite un quite usual in the Netherlands to organize lotteries to collect money for the poor in order to raise funds for all kinds of public usages. The lotteries proved very popular and were hailed as painless forms of taxation. The Dutch state-owned Staatslotterie ends with a J, but it looks like S-T-A-A-T-S-L-O-T-E-R-I-J is the oldest running lottery. The English word lottery is derived from the Dutch noun lot, meaning fate. How about that? Moving south in just a few years later, we're not going to hop in the time machine for this because I don't think we need to. Milan in Italy held their first lottery on January 9th, 1449, started by the short-lived Golden Ambrosia Republic to pay for their war against Venice. Though it was in nearby Genoa, that the lotto became very popular. In Genoa, they'd bet on the names of the great council members who were drawn at random, five out of 90 candidates every six months. This is called sortition, also known as selection by lot, allotment, or demarche, is the selection of political officials as a random sample from a larger pool of candidates. A system intended to ensure that all competent and interested parties have an equal chance of holding public office. It also minimizes factionalism, since there would be no point making promises to win over key constituencies if one was to be chosen by lot, while elections, by contrast, foster it. In ancient Athenian democracy, sortition was the traditional and primary method for appointing political officials, and its use was regarded as a principal characteristic of democracy. Today, Sortition is commonly used to select prospective jurors in common law-based legal systems, and it's sometimes used and sometimes used in forming citizen groups with political advisory with political advisory power, citizens' juries or citizens' assemblies. How about that? Isn't that kind of cool? See, that's why I named the show How About That, because I was reading these things and was interested. And I said to myself, how about that? Gambling on the outcome was called lotto, or seminal. When twice a year no longer satiated the masses, they began to bet on numbers instead of candidates, and the modern lottery was born. This is where the current legal lottery and illegal numbers game draw their origins. Oh no, tangent alert. <laughs> Whoa, tangent alert. <laughs> uh, the numbers game, also known as the numbers racket, the policy racket, the policy game, the Italian lo lottery, or the daily number, is a form of illegal gambling or illegal lottery 
played mostly in poor and working class neighborhoods in the United States, wherein a better, a, wherein a bettor, as in someone who bets, attempts to pick three digits to match those that will be randomly drawn the following day. For many years, the number has been the last three digits of the handle, the amount, the amount racetrack betters placed on race day at a major racetrack published in racing journals and major newspapers in New York. Gamblers placed bets with a bookmaker or bookie at a tavern, bar, barbershop, social club, or any other semi-private place that acts as an illegal betting parlor. Runners carry the money and betting slips between the betting parlors and the headquarters called a numbers bank or policy bank. The name policy is based on the similarity on the similarity to cheap insurance, which is also a gamble on the future. Hmm, how about that? Once more into the time machine. <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it too much. Oh well. Um, about 100 years later in France, King Francis, after discovering the lotto and his campaigns in Italy, decided to bring it to his country. In 1539, the Lottery Royale was held and did not catch on with the same fervor as it had in Italy. The tickets were too expensive for poor people to buy, and the rich, who could buy them, opposed the idea in the first place. For the next two centuries, the practice continued and was at best tolerated, but more often than not was outright banned. Moving laterally in time to England in 1566, Queen Elizabeth, the first, first, <laughs> the first established the lottery uh, in, in England, uh, obviously, <laughs> though the first drawing wasn't until 1569. So that's, a three, so that's three years that people had to purchase tickets for the drawing, which is pretty nuts. This lottery was designed to raise money for the reparation of the heavens and strength of the realm and towards such other public good works, or something like that. The prizes were given to all ticket holders, and the value of the prizes equaled the money raised by the lottery. So if the proceeds from the lottery were 100 pounds or something, they'd give back 100 pounds worth of goods to those that bought tickets. The prizes were commodities like silver plates and whatnot. Uh, the government viewed this as an interest-free loan from its citizens in times of need. In later years, the government sold the lottery ticket rights to brokers who in turn hired agents and runners to sell them. These brokers eventually became the modern-day stockbrokers for various commercial ventures. Most people could not afford the entire cost of a lottery ticket, so the brokers would sell shares in a ticket. The results, the resulted, this resulted in tickets being issued with a notation such as 16th or 3rd class. Many private lotteries were held, including, uh, including raising money for the Virginia Company of London to support its settlements in America at Jamestown. The English state lottery ran from 1694 until 1826. Thus, the English lotteries ran for 250 years until the government, under constant pressure from the, from the opposition, from the opposition in Parliament, from the opposition in Parliament, declared a final lottery in 1826. This lottery was held up to ridicule by contemporary commentators as the last struggle of the speculators on public credulity for popularity to their last dying lottery. Hopping back into the laterally moving time machine, which, does that have a sound effect? Oh, it's the same one. Mm, well, there you go. 
live with it. We go to the American colonies in 1612. In Jamestown, Virginia, King James I allowed the Virginia Company of London to set up a lottery to help the settlers establish themselves. These became very important in the colonies, both privately and publicly. Uh, it is on record that 200 lotteries were established between 1744 and 1776. In fact, the foundation of Princeton, Columbia, and the University of Pennsylvania were funded by lotteries. How about that? Naturally, they were also used to fund wars. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts used lottery funds to fuel the expedition against Canada during the, during the Indian-French Wars in 1758. Benjamin Franklin organized a lottery to raise money to purchase cannon for the defense of Philadelphia. Several of these lotteries offered prizes in the form of pieces of eight. George Washington's Mountain Road Lottery in 1768 was unsuccessful, but these rare lottery tickets bearing Washington's signature became collector's items. One example sold for $15,000 in, in 2007. Washington was also a manager of Colonel Bernard Moore's slave lottery mm -mm, in 1769, which advertised land and slaves as prizes in the Virginia Gazette. <sighs> That's a lot of information. You guys keep you uh, hanging in there all right? At the outset of the Revolutionary War, the Continental Congress used lottery tickets to raise money to support the colonial army. Alexander Hamilton wrote that lotteries should be kept simple and that everybody will be willing to hazard a trifling sum for the chance of considerable gain and would prefer a small chance of winning a great deal to a great chance of winning little. Smart guy. Taxes had never been accepted as a way to raise public funding for projects and this led to the popular belief that lotteries were a form of hidden taxation. Hmm... At the end of the Revolutionary War, the various states had to resort to lotteries to raise funds for numerous public projects. Go figure. The first Spanish lottery game was played back in 1763, and over the last two centuries, playing the lottery in Spain has developed into, into a tradition. The Spanish Christmas lottery, or simply Lotería de Navidad, is a national lottery it is organized every year since 1812 by a branch of the Spanish Public Administration, now called Lotterias y Apuestas del Estado. I hope I said that right. The name of Sortero de Navidad was used for the first time in 1892. The Spanish Christmas Lottery is the second longest continuously running lottery in the world. This includes the years during the Spanish Civil War, when the lottery draw was held in Valencia after the Republicans were forced to relocate their capital from Madrid. After the overthrow of the Republican government, the lottery continued uninterrupted under the Franco regime. Now, to more modern times in the United States. Into the time machine, we're going... In time. So fast. We're doing it twice. <laughs> Lotteries are operated at the state level in the U.S. 44 states and three territories operate state lotteries, and nearly all of them are members of the consortium that operate regional games and the two near-national games, the Mega Millions and the Powerball. 
In January 2016, Powerball set the record for the largest lottery jackpot in the U.S. history with its January 13th, 2016 draw having an estimated jackpot of about $1.5 billion. So I think I might have said earlier there was Mega Millions. Clearly, it's the jackpot of the Powerball, not Mega Millions, that set the record. The precursor to legal lotteries was the underground numbers game of the 1800s, which I mentioned briefly, er, briefly earlier, which operated out of policy shops where bettors choose numbers. In 1875, a report of a select committee of the New York State Assembly stated that the lowest, meanest, worst form that gambling takes in the city of New York is what is known as policy playing. The game was also popular in Italian neighborhoods known as the Italian Lottery, creative, and it was known in Cuban communities as Bolita or Little Ball. By the early 20th century, the game was associated with poor communities and could be played for as little as one cent. The game's attraction to low-income and working-class bettors was the ability to bet small amounts of money and that bookies could extend credit to the better. In addition, policy winners could avoid paying income tax. Different policy banks would offer different rates, though a payoff of 600 to 1 was typical. Since the odds of winning were 1,000 to 1, the expected profit for racketeers was enormous. Gigantic. Huge. The first modern government-run U.S. lottery was established in Puerto Rico in 1934, followed by New Hampshire, <laughs> New Hampshire in 1964. 30 years. In 2018, Ohio became one of the first states to offer people a digital lottery option. The technology developed by Link3 or Link, <laughs> L-I-N-Q-3, tech companies, bleh, allows players to play the lottery on their smartphones. Sounds safe. Australia, United Kingdom, Spain, Canada, Thailand, Malaysia, and Mexico have national lotteries as well. <sighs> Good. Learning something? I learned a lot. <laughs> there is also a great deal of thought into why we purchase lottery tickets and the math behind it. I tried my best to slog through the jargon and pull out the nuggets that uh, are easiest to relay to others. Because there's a lot of... It's very hard to understand uh, if you're not a mathematician. And I'm not a mathematician. The lottery... Uh, if you're a practical person that makes choices based solely on rational and reasonable information... Go figure, the lottery is not for you, because it is gambling. There is, however, formulas and uh, that account for risk-seeking behavior in humans as a factor in our decision-making. So they take into account that one of the reasons we buy a ton of lottery tickets is because we like the uh, the thrill, the risk. Another thing they account for is for the, the, the fantasies a person allows themselves to experience when they purchase a lottery ticket. So it's as a form of escape, the rate of return and satisfaction, even if you don't win, can be equivalent to you know watching a movie. If you you know if you spend ten bucks on a lottery ticket and get two three hours of uh, you know you, you you fantasize about how you're going to spend that money, that's about the same as paying for a movie. So that's kind of interesting. Wait, uh, what's the? How about that? <laughs> so, what happens if you actually win the lottery? In light of this this recent Mega Millions drawing, let's use it for an example because some drawings vary. Mega Millions allows you to take the lump sum or a full payment, or or it's, that's the full payment, the lump sum. Duh. 
or the annuity, which is a payment over time, usually 20 to 30 years. While withholdings vary by jurisdiction and how winnings are invested, it is suggested that a winner who chooses the lump sum expects to pocket only about a third of the advertised jackpot at the end of the tax year. Therefore, a winning of $100 million, uh, and if you choose the, the, the lump sum, you can expect about th uh, 33, well, if they say 33,000, $33,333,333.33. But we'll just say, <laughs> having already said that, we'll just say 33 million uh, net after filing income tax. Uh, for the year in which the jackpot was won. While the taxes on the lump sum are higher, most people will still opt for it because the taxes on annuity can fluctuate as time goes on. It's like kind of like gambling on a gamble, so to speak. So the things that didn't occur to me when I w recently bought my first ticket were what to do immediately afterwards. Some important things to consider are your privacy. People are going to want your money. Friends, family, creditor. If you live in Delaware, Kansas, Maryland, North Dakota, Ohio, and South Carolina, you can remain anonymous after you win, uh, but good luck doing that. You know, it's, uh, I imagine it's also difficult to keep your mouth shut after you win the lottery. Otherwise, your name will be public. If you're in any other of the, the states that, so there's 44 states, and if you're not in one of those six, uh, you're out of luck. Uh, so watch out. Apparently, it's a good idea to get a lawyer, one you trust. Uh, to set up a foundation or trust or another legal entity to hold that huge amount of money you just received. Uh, evidently, putting it in your checking account is not advised, uh, which is what I thought I would do and then realized that putting $500 million in my checking account, e even though it wouldn't be that much money, but putting a ton of money in my checking account would be something that would be weird. In addition to a lawyer, it's recommended that you get a financial advisor and a tax advisor, all of which you'll need to pay. And yes, probably out of your winnings. Kind of funny. How about that? Oh, and the hobby of collecting and studying lottery tickets is called lotology, and a person who collects lottery tickets is a lotologist. How about that? Thank you all for joining me for uh, this new episode of <laughs> How About That. Uh, sound effects, the ones <laughs> the ones I played a lot, <laughs> uh, provided by zapsplat.com. Uh, so check them out. They got a lot of sound effects. You got to be real specific with your searches, but they got a lot of sound effects. Uh, this will be my last episode for about a month and a half. Um, look forward to me in mid-May. We're going to be doing some more episodes. I got uh, WrestleMania, Late to the Party stuff coming up with friends of the show, Byron and Dan. And there's going to be other stuff coming down the line. Some more of these, if I like them. I might never ever do this again, but I run into a lot of interesting information when I do research for uh, podcasts. And sometimes I just want to write them down and read them out loud. So I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Uh, <laughs> um, check me out. Go to the, the my website, uh, benschlofelt.squarespace.com if you want to email me about stuff or if you want to hear like me do one of these about whatever subject you're thinking. Uh, as long as it's interesting, I'll probably read about it. So uh, yeah, I'll see you all in a, couple, in, a, in a month, month and a half or so. All right. You take care out there, folks.
It's a rough world. That's why we need love and compassion to get through it all, if you know what I mean. How about that?